You're listening to the Nonprofit Buildup Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Campbell. I want to support movements that can interrupt cycles of injustice and inequity and shift power towards vulnerable and marginalized communities. I've spent years working in and with nonprofits and philanthropies, and I know how important infrastructure is to outcomes. On this show, we'll talk about how to build capacity to transform the way you and your organization work. Hi, everyone. It's Katie, BuildUp's Manager of Global Operations. This week on the Nonprofit BuildUp, Nick is speaking with Andrew Schulman. Andrew is the founder and principal at Shulman Consulting, America's only consulting and advisory firm exclusively focused on the fiscal sponsorship sector. Guiding dozens of clients, fiscal sponsors, and sponsored projects, large and small, and overcoming a variety of challenges. Shulman Consulting combines Andrew's nonprofit leadership experience with his experience from the for profit sector, bringing an analytical approach to problem solving and the ability to find solutions that account for impact, equity, and efficiency. Prior to founding the firm, Andrew held senior operations roles at a number of early stage and fast growing nonprofits. After more than a decade in for-profit roles focused on operations, marketing, and digital product development. He's an active member of the National Network of Fiscal Sponsors and a fellow of the Southern California Leadership Network. And with that, here's Nick's conversation with Andrew Schulman. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the Nonprofit Buildup. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Of course. To get us started, Andrew, can you tell us about Shulman Consulting and what your immediate priorities are, particularly given our current environment? Yeah, for sure. So Shulman Consulting is the nation's only nonprofit consulting practice that works exclusively in the fiscal sponsorship sector. So we work both with fiscal sponsors to help them do fiscal sponsorship well and better. And also with fiscally sponsored projects or those interested in becoming fiscally sponsored. And in terms of priorities right now, I think considering what we've seen in the last almost two years, there's actually been a, a rush to fiscal sponsorship in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people have been compelled or have felt like a call to do something. People that had the ability to do something during the pandemic and help those who don't and those who are in need have rushed to want to do something in ways that we haven't seen before. And a lot of them are turning to fiscal sponsorship because it's an easy way to get something up and running. You don't have to wait for nine months for the IRS to decide that you're a nonprofit. So it's really helping those folks find the right sponsors and helping the sponsors who are working with them handle all that growth. Because as you know, and I know you talk about a lot on the podcast and your work, as you grow and as you change, right, your systems need to change, they need to evolve, they need to improve and sort of match the level of size and scope that you're at. Agreed. And you talk about finding fiscal sponsors and it's an easy way to get your work going. I'd love for us to take a step back and define what a fiscal sponsor is. And then we can talk about why you should work with one and get into those kinds of details. But I'd love to hear how you're defining fiscal sponsors and what fiscal sponsorship is. Sure, of course. So fiscal sponsorship is one of the most poorly named things in the nonprofit sector and a sector with a lot of poorly named things. <laughs> it sounds like something it's not and what it is it doesn't actually sound like. But what it is, is a contractual relationship between two parties. One is an existing, usually 501c3, but it could be a 501c4, it could be a 501c6, even you know any sort of 501c nonprofit. But for most of us, 501c3 is what we're talking about. So an existing one of those 
and then an individual or a group of individuals that wants to start a charitable project of some kind that fits in with the mission of that existing organization. And so what they do is they come together and the existing organization handles all of the back office and administrative work for this new group. So that means their HR, their legal, their finance and accounting, their insurance, all that kind of stuff is essentially subsumed by this larger organization and they take that on. And the new group is able to really then focus on two things, doing the work and fundraising, finding the support for that work. And then in exchange, there's usually a, a small fee that what's called the fiscal sponsor takes usually in the 6 to 12% range of money raised. And so what this does is it allows people to get started very quickly and very cheaply. There's essentially, in some cases, there's an application fee or, or something like that. It's very low cost compared to the five grand and up to start your own nonprofit and having to, you know, I guess, go through the IRS and the formation process and all that stuff. And so this is a way to get something going quickly, test out new ideas and grow from there. I'm obviously passionate about it. It's something I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about. And I think it's it's not it's not the best thing for everybody all the time, but I think it's a really good tool that a lot of people can use that a lot of people also don't know about that should be using it. So if I'm a leader of a project, I don't have tax exemption, so I'm not a 501c3 organization, what kinds of questions should I be asking a potential fiscal sponsor? So I've listened to, I started listening to the podcast and I have heard you say, this is a really quick way to get started and do your work. But what kinds of questions should I be asking? What kind of diligence should I be doing around fiscal sponsors? Yeah, that's a really good question. So before we get into that, there's, there's sort of two types of organizations that act as fiscal sponsors. There's organizations out there that their sole mission or a very large part of their mission is just to be a fiscal sponsor. So you can imagine these are organizations that might have 5, 10, 20, 50, 100, 500 projects underneath them. And this is what they do. This is their mission. And so that's one group. Another group is basically every other 501c3. <laughs> Everyone can be a fiscal sponsor. Any nonprofit can be a fiscal sponsor. Unfortunately, there's no like test they have to pass. There's no letter they have to submit. There's no form they have to fill out. They can just sort of say, we're going to be a fiscal sponsor and be a fiscal sponsor. So taking that into account, the first question I would ask an organization is, have you ever been a fiscal sponsor before? Or are you a fiscal sponsor now? What types of services are you offering? What will my project be able to take advantage of that you have? You know, Whether it's like your accounting infrastructure, your HR infrastructure, if we're going to have employees, legal reviews of contracts, things like that what kind of insurance you have, sort of like the things that you're hopefully going to get in exchange for the whatever fee it is you're providing, you want to make sure that's good, right? And so you want to ask that of the sponsor. You also probably want to go to other people who have relationships with this organization and talk to them and find out what is the reputation of this organization? Because under fiscal sponsorship and the way that I'm describing it, you are tied to that organization in a lot of ways. And so if they are known for not handling their books well or not stewarding money well, well, then that's not a place you want to be, right? So you want to find those things out beforehand. That's really helpful. And so when we think about what makes a fiscal sponsor the right fit for a project and for a project to be the right fit for a fiscal sponsor, are there any 
criteria that you can point to? I know you started to talk a bit about poor management, fiscal management, for example, from the fiscal sponsor. What makes a fiscal sponsor a good fiscal sponsor? What makes them a not so good fiscal sponsor? Or does that just vary from project to project? Yeah, that's a good question as well. I mean, there aren't any rules about what services you need to provide or don't need to provide or what fees you should be charging or shouldn't be charging. So that varies widely. I would say the fit is based on, A, are they providing what you and your project need right now in exchange for a fee that you all find reasonable? And B, are they good at what they do, right? So can they handle this, right? Is this something new? Is this something brand new for them that they just decided they want to do? Like, you know, a lot of fiscal sponsorship relationships start, not that I would ever recommend this, but someone is a friend of the board chair and they say, oh, I want to start something. And the board chair goes to the ED and says, hey, I have a friend. This is John. He wants to do something. Let's just set it up and make it happen, right? And that's like, in my mind, like the worst case scenario of this, right? Because none of the details have been worked out. Nobody has any concept of what expectations are on the other side. And so it's really important to understand what your expectations are of the sponsor. Also understand what the sponsor's expectations are of you. What I would call good sponsors or professional sponsors, right? Ones that do it on a regular basis or have large sponsorship practices. They have things like policy manuals and they have really good contracts that outline very specific things, parts of the relationship. So there's not a lot left to chance. The last thing you want is, you know, and I see this all the time, you sign a very simple physical sponsorship agreement that says nothing about what happens when this project decides to leave or to shut down, right? What happens to the money that's left? What's happened to the people that are left? And that's when a lot of fighting happens and a lot of bad emotions come out and things can get ugly. But if those things are already outlined in an agreement, here's what happens at the end of the line, then that makes things a lot cleaner, right? So I think it's really about A, are your expectations aligned with what they're providing and vice versa? And are they competent in this kind of work? I like that framing, particularly when you raise the question, are they providing what you need? Because I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was there are a lot of 501c3s out there that they're being approached by close friends or by projects whose work they really appreciate and they respect. And they're being asked to become fiscal sponsors and they're taking on these projects as, quote, fiscal sponsors, but they don't necessarily have the full capacity to really function as a fiscal sponsor. And so I think when you ask that question about, you know, are they providing what you need? Sometimes the projects themselves don't necessarily know, right? Because you're such a young, fledgling project or initiative that you think you need one thing. And then when you step into it, you realize there's a lot of other things you need. And so really making sure that that fiscal sponsor has the capacity to provide what you actually do need, even if you don't realize it, is really important. So I just wanted to really highlight what you shared earlier about just being really aware that there are some C3s out there that fiscal sponsorship is not what they necessarily do, but they might be taking you on as well and to ask questions in that context as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there's a couple of really good articles that have been written by other folks who I can share with you that maybe you could post in the notes so that people can check them out, you know, questions to ask prospective sponsor. And that is also one of the things I do in my work is helping people find the right fiscal sponsor. So people come to me and I can understand what it is they want to do and what it is they're looking for and help them 
understand what it is they need and then recommend and make introductions to sponsors that I know would be good fits for them. So for people who have the ability to do that, that is another option. Mm-hmm. We will definitely put those articles in the notes as well. So thanks so much, Andrew. And so as part of your work, do you find yourself doing a lot of education around fiscal sponsorship? And I want to really ask about funders and what that looks like in terms of your work and having the conversations there. Because we talked at the beginning that a lot of projects or folks that are reaching out to fiscal sponsors may not even know that fiscal sponsors exist or what that relationship could look like. But I'm also seeing it on the funding side. And so I'm thinking of the fiscal sponsors themselves that are part of this grantor-grantee relationship, but the grantor or the funder doesn't necessarily fully understand what a fiscal sponsor does. So I'd love to hear about the kind of work you're doing with funders and, and what education looks like around fiscal sponsorship. Yeah, for sure. So yes, a lot of education, working with people who are potentially going to be sponsored or thinking about fiscal sponsorship, but also with other stakeholders as well. So I'm always talking to, I try to be always talking to funders and other service providers and others you know, who are in the nonprofit world, because this is sort of a hidden corner of the nonprofit world for a lot of people. And you're right, a lot of funders either don't really understand fiscal sponsorship, or some of them have what I would call antiquated policies around fiscal sponsorship. So just to give you a little bit of the history, fiscal sponsorship is something that's been around since I think it's like the 60s or the late 50s. So it's been a long time and it's been used in a lot of different ways. And until maybe like 25 years ago, it was primarily a stopgap for, you know, have an idea, I'm applying to the IRS, someone wants to give me some funding in the three months between today and when I get my tax exemption, I'll just go to a fiscal sponsor for a short time, be able to take in that funding and start my work. So a lot of funders, because of that, still see fiscal sponsorship as sort of like a a training wheels situation, right? Or a a place to go before you really are ready to like put your big, big boy, big girl pants on and do your own thing. And like I said, it's, it's an outdated notion because the way things have gone, a lot of people realize that this setup, this tool can be like a forever home for a lot of organizations, right? Especially if your organization isn't going to be bigger than 500, 750, a million dollars, even on an annual basis. In a lot of cases, fiscal sponsorship is a much better deal for you, for your project in terms of having to go out and get your own accountant and your own lawyer and your own HR and you know do all these things. I mean, I do a lot of work helping projects that are separating out do that process and understand sort of what the costs are of that. And so I I look at those numbers a lot and I see a lot of projects leaving before they're ready. And that is often driven by funders who say, you know what, we want you to be on your own. So I do spend a lot of time working with other sponsors, bigger sponsors who obviously run into these issues. And we talk to funders whenever we can and are developing materials to share more widely with the fiscal sponsor community because helping funders understand that this is actually a good thing in a lot of ways and not something that should be frowned upon or looked down upon or sort of like have people shuttle out of it is the right way to go. And you know, a lot of funders are are doing a disservice by telling these projects that it's time for them to leave. Oh, I, I agree with that. And I think that the work that you're doing around educating 
really key stakeholders in the sector, uh, particularly funders, is, is so critical to making sure that we all as a sector keep moving forward. So I completely agree with everything that you, you shared. And because you, it seems like you're talking to the projects that are becoming fiscally sponsored, the fiscal sponsor themselves, sometimes you're engaging with funders, you're really getting a good view into the different movers and shakers, so to speak, in the sector. So I'd love to hear, Andrew, what do you think we do really well as a nonprofit sector? And what do you think that we should stop doing? <laughs> oh, man. That's a... Uh... Wow. How much time we got? Uh, <laughs> so I think what we do really well is there's a lot of space in the nonprofit world for a lot of different people to do different work and focus on different causes. And I think the openness of that is a good thing. You know, I think it's only becoming more open. I know different communities have had harder times raising money and getting started and doing things like that for a very long time. And Hopefully that's starting to change. But I think there's always been a very sort of openness about, okay, there's a problem. Let's go figure out how to change it. Who's changing it and who's trying to figure that out and who they're helping? You know, that's always different and that always could use a little more work. But I think that openness is really good. I think there's a lot of issues even beyond my work in fiscal sponsorship. I think the power dynamics between funders and nonprofits is obviously a big issue that I know you deal with, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners deal with on a regular basis. I think the red tape and the compliance work, right? It's relatively easy to say, I'm going to help somebody and do this. And then it's a lot harder to actually like start the organization, maintain it. I always say running a nonprofit is like running a small business, but just with more oversight, more compliance, you know, more filings. And it shouldn't be that way. And it shouldn't be that hard. And that's sort of why I came to fiscal sponsorship is because it, it does in a lot of ways and can in a lot of ways make it easier to do that. So, you know, if you want to make a difference, if there are groups or people or communities you want to serve, this is a way to do that, sort of circumvents some of the roadblocks that have been put up, whether they're based on the compliance and the government or the funding or the equity issues that have come up where this is actually fiscal sponsorship in a lot of ways can be a way to improve equity in this work because it is a lot of the barriers have been removed to getting going. So then what I'm hearing and what I like is that you're, you're talking about the transparency and the openness that exists within the sector. We should continue doing that. But then all of the other the roadblocks, the additional hurdles, and a lot of it stemming from compliance. So we understand the spirit behind it, but really how it plays out, it really does impact the way that nonprofits can work and how effective they can be and how quickly they can move. And so that's where fiscal sponsorship really does come in or can come in and play quite a, a critical role. So no, I, I really like those observations, Andrew. And we spend a lot of time thinking about infrastructure mm -hmm. and talking about it as well. And so I'd love to hear how you are considering fiscal sponsorship as part of an organization's infrastructure and how it can really, it being the project, can really focus on capacity building and building out its organizational frame, so to speak, while it's being fiscally sponsored. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that infrastructure is an important part of the topics and the things that you cover. And fiscal sponsorship is sort of like a shortcut, I think, in a lot of ways, because if you're at a, a good fiscal sponsor, a, a competent professional fiscal sponsor, they are doing 
most of the infrastructure. They have the built-in infrastructure that you can sort of just already plug into. And so all that time and all that money that new startup nonprofits spend on figuring out, okay, what forms are we filing with who, when, you know, I mean, out here in California, there's three or four state agencies that you have to file with every year. And you know, save yourself a lot of time, a lot of Googling, a lot of asking questions in Facebook groups or wherever you go for your information. Because nobody starts a nonprofit because they want to do payroll, right? Nobody starts a nonprofit because they want to file with the IRS every year. And it, those are important things. And you know, at certain, I think, sizes and at certain for certain organizations, it makes sense to do, be doing that stuff all yourself or have the people on your payroll and your budget to do that. But for a lot of organizations, especially smaller ones or, or newer ones, they're still trying to figure out what the it is that they're doing, right? And how is it going to work? And how are we going to scale it? You know, what do we need to learn to actually do this work and to build support for it and find our funding? And this sort of allows you to do that and focus on those things. And then if you grow to a certain point and it makes sense to go out on your own, and you know, that happens all the time, then you already have that base of like, okay, here's the work that we're doing. We know people support it. And we know we can grow or we have a vision for how we're going to get to steps five, six, and seven. Now we have the capacity to hire those people or bring on those services where we're going to do those things for ourselves. We're going to take over that infrastructure. And so it sort of is a way to, to start and to really get your, your hands dirty, your feet wet, whatever it is, before you have to sort of take on all of that other stuff which is the infrastructure, which I know is not actually other, but it's <laughs> in this case, you can offload it for a little while. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with that. And I always say that it, it gives you, it being fiscal sponsorship can give you the space and time to learn both programmatically, what's working, what isn't, what's allowing you to gain traction, and mm-hmm. then learn how to build. What does capacity look like? What do you actually need? So agreed with that. So question following up on that, Andrew, and just as an aside, I like how you mentioned the states and we're talking about compliance. I also think it's apparent, right, from you talk to anyone who's forming organizations and you will see that it's not just, oh, you're operating in this state, let's form in this state. It's like, well, let's play that game of which state can actually support the work that we're doing in a way that's not going to be intrusive from a compliance perspective. So it's real. Yeah. What organization, what project should not consider fiscal sponsorship? When should you say, look, this is a great idea, but this is not for me and it shouldn't be for you? Right, right. There's a couple of different sort of aspects to the answer to that question. One is the person or people involved in the project. So if you are a person or if your group is a group of people who are very, you want to do things your own way. You don't want someone else to tell you how to do something, even if it's something that is not related to the program at all. But it's you want someone to tell you that you have to be on their schedule for how they're going to pay vendors, or it's going to take them five days to review your contract or whatever it is, then fiscal sponsorship might not be for you. Right. I mean, we all want things to happen as fast as they can. And we know a lot of times we feel like, oh, if we could just do this, we could do it better than someone else. But these organizations are taking a lot of the burden off of their project leads. And so depending on where you are, there might be a little bit more process, a little bit more structure, which in some cases for a lot of people is really good. And for some cases, that's not good for people. So I would say that's one thing to think about, right? If you have like a strong-willed 
project leader who is sort of intent on going out and doing their own thing and doesn't want to be a partner, doesn't want to be bound by the constraints of another organization, then you're probably not a good fit for fiscal sponsorship. The other thing is on the program side, I think the risk inherent in your program is something that you want to consider because programs that are super risky are usually things that fiscal sponsors are not as interested in handling and should give a fiscal sponsor pause, right? So if you're talking with someone that is at an organization that doesn't normally do fiscal sponsorship, and this is something they're going to start doing, and they're like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. You want to teach kids how to drive vans on the side of snowy mountains? Like, great, let's get it going. You know, that, that should be a red flag to you that this organization is just totally for it, even though that's something that's pretty risky. And so I think risk is one thing. Usually owning real estate is another. So most new organizations aren't looking to go out and buy a building or piece of land, but sometimes that's part of the situation. But if that's something you're looking to do in the first year or two, I would say probably you're going to have to go out on your own because that is also a pretty big liability to have. And so a lot of fiscal sponsors, at least the ones that are paying attention, are probably not going to be interested in that. Yeah. No, I I think those are two really good things to pull out because it is important to know whether or not fiscal sponsorship would be right for you. And as a fiscal sponsor, whether or not you should take on a particular project. So just because you are new and you need to build that capacity doesn't mean you automatically should step into fiscal sponsorship. But for those projects, Andrew, and I think even in the examples that she shared, the criteria that you shared, I think they would have problems just generally operating, right? If you have someone right. who's like not willing to partner and, and they're taking the vans on, on snowy <laughs> mountains, things like that. But what advice do you give to folks who are not appropriate for fiscal sponsorship? Maybe, you know, let's take an example that comes up a lot. You're an organization, you're a project, you've actually filed for C3 status, right? But it hasn't come through yet. And mm-hmm. so maybe it's coming, let's say in the next month or so. What advice do you give to those organizations that even when they do get that C3 status, they still need back office support. They still need help with a lot of the things that a fiscal sponsor would provide them with. But there are a lot of fiscal sponsors that might say, look, you have your C3 status or, you know, it's let's just say they know it's coming in a month or so. You have your C3 status. We are not willing to work with you. What do they do or what kind of advice or guidance would you provide to those organizations? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that, a lot of the guidance depends on what their funding situation is, right? So most new organizations are starting out with very little, although some may have worked with some funders and gotten some initial seed funding. But I would say, to the extent possible, outsource what you can, right? Don't try to do everything yourself because you're just going to use your time and energy on things that are important, but not relevant to pushing the program forward pushing the organization forward. And so there are plenty of great accounting firms that just focus on working with nonprofits, right? And some of them focus on working with small and new nonprofits. And that would be one thing I would recommend, right? Help someone get your chart of accounts set up and teach you how to do the bookkeeping so that they can check you know, every month to make sure that things are going well and so that they can help you with your 990. When there are things like... If you're starting with employees, there are things like PEOs, right? Personnel Employment organizations, I think is what that stands for. And those are organizations essentially act as outsourced employers and HR, right? And so you can have employees that they handle the benefits, they handle the payroll, all this stuff. So it's like, it's not the same as fiscal sponsorship, but it's it's a way to sort of replicate some of the aspects of that 
And those things obviously come with costs, but I'd say to the extent possible, find the people who know how to do this already versus trying to learn it on yourself, look for yourself. I want folks who are listening to really take that all in, which is you're still focused on capacity building and getting the support that you need. You're just not doing it through a fiscal sponsor. So the answer isn't if you're not eligible or you don't think you're a good fit or you aren't a good fit for a fiscal sponsorship, just forget about it and do it all by yourself. It's how do you think about the kind of support you would have received from a fiscal sponsor and how can you sort of outsource that in a good way, right? So we're still focused on building out your capacity in human resources, for example, accounting, financial management, governance, all of those different pieces that would have come into play. So I like when we're we're thinking about that framing, it's not just, well, if you're not doing fiscal sponsorship, you can do it on your own. I really want people to take that in because it's really important to have the capacity to do it. You know, Andra, we could really talk about this topic for hours. Like I think we literally could, but I think that your responses just have been so practical, really based on real world experience and what you have been seeing in the sector and have just been really timely as well. Because again, a lot of questions have been coming up around fiscal sponsorship and how do you go about it and is it the right fit? And I want to ask you a question that I ask all of our guests to help us continue to build knowledge through books and people we should learn from or about to close us out. What book do you think we should read next? Or what artist do you think we should be paying attention to? Yeah, I I recently read a book called The Art of Community by Charles Vogel, B-O-G-L. And I actually, during the pandemic, have unintentionally started a community of fiscal sponsors that meet on Zoom every week. And what I've seen in the world is that sort of everything is becoming community-based, right? So even if you're a nonprofit and you're not what you would consider community-based, you have a community of funders, or you have a community of members, or you have different communities that you have created or that have coalesced around your organization. It's really about how to see that and understand it and how to foster those and grow them in the right way. So I think it's a fascinating book. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. We will also include it in our show notes. People have access to it. And again, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I think that you've shared really great information that will allow leaders to build their own organizations bravely. So thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. As we wrap up this conversation on fiscal sponsorship, we wanted to share more about BuildUp Inc., our fiscal sponsor within the build of companies. BuildUp Inc. provides sponsorship of projects and initiatives led by women and Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. We encourage innovation and creativity, require ideas that attempt to positively change or impact the world, and bring unparalleled legal, strategic, and operational expertise and support to fiscal sponsorship. If you would like to explore how BuildUp Inc. can address your or your project's specific needs, please schedule a discovery call. The link is in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonprofit BuildUp. To access the show notes, additional resources, and information on how you can work with us, please visit our website at buildupadvisory.com. We invite you to listen again next week as we share another episode about scaling impact by building infrastructure and capacity in the nonprofit sector. Keep building bravely.